Generation Church, based in the beautiful Rex Theater in the heart of downtown Pensacola, Florida. Our hope is that today's teaching will encourage and equip you to be firm in faith, to fulfill the call of God in your life, and to finish well. Grab your Bible, open up your notes app, and let's dive in. Father, I thank you for this morning and Lord, for everyone here. Lord, I'm acutely aware, Lord, that uh, this is another service different people, different hearts, different needs. Holy Spirit, we ask that you would be here to minister in a very specific way uh, to each individual, Lord, and, and just ask that your presence would be known and that we would grow in you. For it's in your name we pray. Amen. I, like always, just love time of worship. I think I love it because it's like you're a song. It's community. It's coming together, all the voices in, in, in harmony, if you're singing, which I hope you do. And, uh, but it's just, it's just so beautiful. You know, I remember taking uh, theory in Bible college, music theory. I play guitar, and so I've always been interested in, uh, in music and just the chord progressions. You know, it's actually really complicated. Music's like math. And... As I, during worship, I was even thinking about the complexity of music and coming together, the fact that we're coming together as one and how the chords, you know, there's certain chords that are naturally going to progress to another chord. It's not, um, it's not always endless as far as some of the progressions they, they make, you know, being in the right key. And I don't know. I just had a good time thinking of that analogy and all the different chords and notes that we bring together as the body of Christ in, in community. And we sing a song. And there's beauty in that, in that song. That's why I believe heaven's going to be so beautiful in music that we've never heard or understood. You know, the, the word says, no eye has seen or ear has heard what God's prepared for us. Isn't that exciting? Like, we can't figure it out. I think there's so many people that, do I really want to go there? Or Because you can't imagine it. But heaven's going to be a wonderful, beautiful place of, um, of just being together in unity and in community, which again is what I want to talk about this, this morning. So this is the last sermon of a six-part series that we've been doing called uh, Journey Up. And it's, uh, we've been looking at Psalms 120 through 134, which if you do the math is 15 Psalms. Three times a year, the Hebrews would uh, make a pilgrimage and they would go, they would ascend to Jerusalem. It was a higher part of the country. And there they would have the, the three festivals. Uh, one aspect, a commentary that I read was how uh, God, it was, God was actually commanding them to, to have a feast and to take a break. It was a time where they got out of routine in their villages and everything that, you know, the, the complexity of life. And on the journey, they, journeying to Jerusalem, they would sing songs. And I'm sure that they sang songs of God's faithfulness as, as we just did. And they would meditate on the laws of God and, the, uh, and, the, and just uh, the obedience to God. They would refresh their memories, I, I'm sure. And they would recall all the different things that God had done in their history. It's beautiful, we as believers, to think back. I know it's always encouraging for me to even think back on my childhood and go, man, I remember when... God moved in that area, and I remember when I was in danger here, and God protected me. I can think of so many instances, but 
I'm sure it was a time where they would do that, uh, how God had delivered them. I'm sure some mom or some dad would have talked to their child and say, hey, let me tell you about Egypt. I know you've heard this story before, but I mean, we were in captivity for 430 years, and, and God delivered us. And, and, and then going, being in the wilderness, you know, it was supposed to be a three, four-day journey, and it ended up being 40 years. We saw how God was with us and how he parted the Red Sea and talking about that story. Hey, I heard this. They heard things that you probably didn't hear. It was, it was fresher. It was newer. And, and, and you know, the, the Bible says that if, if, if the books were to contain all that was spoken of even Jesus, it, 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 we wouldn't be able to contain it. I'm sure that they had stories of water, uh, you know, Moses taking and hitting the, 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 the rock and water water came out and they had water for an entire nation. What about the quail, right, coming and, and you know, they were crying out for meat. And, and so I'm sure they're telling the story. Like, well, let me tell you how God provided for us in the middle of a, of a desert. So the feast, it reminded them to be thankful and to remember that they were a people, they were chosen by God to follow his ways. I shared this message on my uh, first message in the series, which was the second of the series. And I've shared this scripture, but it says, but you are a chosen people. You're a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession. So we're that holy nation. And um, we are to forsake. We're, we're supposed to not love this world just as they were to forsake other nations and peoples and religions. They, had, they were a chosen generation just as you and I. And uh, that's what we want to do. We shall have no other gods before us. We serve the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the great I am, the, the Alpha, the Omega, right? Like, when I know when I pray, I'm always, I'm always uttering the, the true God, the faithful God of who we serve. One commentary I read uh, was it was a time of reaffirming their commitment to community. And I'm sure that that happened on the journey. And it's interesting because the last sermon that uh, I, I talked about was on our need to worship together. The scripture in Psalms 122 was... When they said, let's go to the house of God, my heart leaped for joy. So that sermon was really about coming to a place of worship and the fact that you find joy in it. It was about finding joy, anticipating going to, the, to, to worship God. And they were going to Jerusalem to meet together, and in that, their hearts were filled with joy. This week, I was at a, a pastor's luncheon and for the Dream Center, and a person was asked to pray for the beginning of the meeting, and actually this very scripture was the first thing uttered in that prayer. Uh, it, Psalms 133 is my text for this morning, and it says, How good and how pleasant it is when God's people live together in unity. No small task, as you'll see as I progress into this little message here. It is like precious oil poured on the head running down the beard, running down Aaron's beard. Interesting, I'll get into, expound on that a little bit. Down on the collar of his robe. It is as if the dew of Hermon were falling on Mount Zion, for there the Lord bestows his blessings, even life forevermore. Three 
verses in that entire chapter. I love the way the message starts out that first line. It says, how wonderful, how beautiful when brothers and sisters get along. Again, no small task. So this, this psalm is about the, uh, the need, the importance of community and the need for unity. As I think back over my life, um, I've had the privilege and uh, pleasure to rub shoulders with uh, a lot of amazing relationships, a community that I value so much around me to uh, encourage me and to challenge me and to pray with me about things, um, to, be about, to, to be around those that um, really have God's word on their lips, the truth of God's word, and it builds faith, it builds comfort. Uh, and I'm always astounded uh, when Christians, they don't actually see the power of community. There's been so many instances through the years where I've spoken with someone and, and truly listened to the struggles and their needs. And my conversation is always pretty much the same. It's, it's listen, plug in um, and, be, and be a part because God wants to do great things in your life. Like the, the, the local church is, um, is, is powerful as we, as we uh, you know, rub shoulders together. And, and sadly enough, many times they disappear, they're gone for various reasons. Maybe they had to move or maybe they, they had to do things. And I'm not saying you have to be one place forever. That's, that's not the point of what I'm, I'm saying. But the understanding and the value and the need for community isn't really that deep. It's really not understood because my heart is like if they would plug in and be a part of what's going on, I think that they would see real advancement in their life. Why? Because I experience it. And, um, and, but people do. They fail to see community. They fail to see accountability. Accountability is, is, is extremely, when it's healthy, right, is, uh, is huge. Uh, Advice and help, just being able to navigate uh, the things of this life. Every once in a while, I'll make a phone call, talk to someone. Hey, I, I need a little thought. I need some thought process on this. And, and it's very important that I have godly people around me that are gun, going to speak life into the situation. And, uh, but uh, more often than not, people don't do that, and you end up in a vicious cycle of dysfunction and drama. Ever meet people, everything's drama? Life doesn't have to be that way. Drama and, and loss. And so that's what I want to uh, elaborate on a little bit more here. Whether we like it or not, the moment that we confess Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, we are members of a Christian church. We might not choose to put our name on a church role or church membership, if you want to look at it that way. We might not want to identify with a particular congregation. Worse, we might want to be absent in totality. But our membership in the church, it's sequential. It's corollary to our faith in Christ. It just goes along with it. We can no more be a Christian and have nothing to do with the church than we can be a person and not be in a family. Membership in the church is a basic spiritual fact if you confess Jesus Christ as Lord. It's not just another option for Christians who might be a little bit more social. So I'm that social type, so I'm going to go to church, I want to rub shoulders. No, it's not about that. 
It's a part of it and it's a fabric of redemption. But there are a lot of Christians that they will grow up and they will say, I love God, but I dislike the church. And whether it's acknowledged or not, they are members all the same. God never makes private, secret, spiritual salvation deals with people. Yes, God's relationship with us is very personal and it is intimate, but it's not to be private. No Christian is an only child. We're a family of Christ. Yesterday I was studying at this very point in the morning and Teresa walked in the room and it was fun for her to talk about the women's event. And she was telling me some stories and I was just having a good time listening to it and just hearing, you know, what was going on. And so, but it was just life-giving to me knowing that there's community. And I... Someone brought to my attention this morning of another event that's coming up. And I said, you know, since I'm at this point in my message, although I don't know that I've done this before, I decided I would give another, another plug towards another event that's coming because, again, we're on this whole thing of, of community and the fact that we don't need to be alone with the fact that we do need to be together and grow together and encourage one another and so there's a little video that I want to actually show right now about the IF conference that's coming up for women. And you can actually sign up on the back table. And so I'm just going to play this short video here because we're talking about community. What if we knew that Jesus was coming back in 10 years? It would change everything. That is how I want us to live as a generation. And that is what we're going to talk about at IF Gathering 2023. We do not want you to miss it. We want you to gather your people in your home, in your local church, on your college campus. We want you to gather your people and participate with us as we follow God together. I still cannot believe that I get to do this. Don't miss this. Gather your people and let's watch God move. Amen. I hope you enjoyed that 53 seconds of video, but it is. It's about community, and it's about being together. And another aspect about community that I want to talk about, which sometimes is a little bit uncomfortable, is that it doesn't mean that we're always one big happy family. Is there any perfect family in here? If so, I want to join your family, and then I can make it imperfect. But no, we're uh, like life together is hard. We encounter brothers and sisters in faith for sure, right? That are not always nice people. We're all on a journey. And uh, the moment that someone begins their life in Christ, it does not mean that we immediately stop sinning, right? We don't instantly become humble. We can be irritable, unfriendly. We can be selfish or opinionated. And sometimes it's actually the wrong the wrong thought of a person because we might not really know that person. I have, I'll, show, I'll, I'll elaborate on that in, in a few moments here. But, uh, but nevertheless, the Lord tells us that we are brothers and sisters. And even in sometimes messiness, we are in community together. We need to have patience with one another. So the question is not, am I going to be part, um, 
of a community of faith. We've, we've already talked about that. But how am I going to live in the community of faith? So Psalms 133, these three short verses, it presents what we're after. How wonderful and how beautiful when brothers and sisters get along. Community is a unified community in a life-giving atmosphere for the purposes of God. Let me read that again. It's a unified community in a life-giving atmosphere for the purposes of God. And Jesus, he's our example. And he knew the necessity of a unified church. Jesus worked with 12 disciples, and he lived with them in community. That's how he knew that his saving message, the message uh, of, of, of Jesus Christ, that's how he knew it would spread, right? He spent time in community. The church was formed, it tells us in Acts, when 120 people, they were all together in one place. See, there's power when people come together. That's in Acts. There's a story in Hebrews where some early Christians, they were dropping out of community. They were pursuing private interests. So a pastor wrote them. He's urging them to nurture their precious gift of community. And this is what it says, Hebrews 10. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. I parked here for a moment in the last service because... Man, look at the simplicity of that. Love and good deeds. Love and good deeds. And then it, it, ends, it goes on to say, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. That's what, it's, that's what we're for. He says, don't, don't, um, don't not, not meet together, meet together. Don't make it, make it a habit. Now, I realize that in the life of a Christian, there are times when, when things come into our lives where consistency is a problem. But I believe what happens a lot in, in the lives of believers is, is they, uh, they, they, they get into a habit that it's really not that important, but it is important. I remember times in my life not wanting, especially as a teenager, not wanting to go to church. Uh, maybe I was too tired or whatever, or maybe the service before, the week before, maybe I felt like I didn't get anything out of it. But I can remember so many instances in my life that I went because I was in the habit of doing it, and God transformed my life in that moment. You know, we, we live in lives of transformation, Moments of transformation that comes in the power of unity and being together, being in community. Not even necessarily coming, it's not just about coming to church, but it's about that community and how, how we're changed. And I also want to say all the more in these times. As times grow more wicked, it was proclaimed, right, that in the end of the age it would get worse and it would get worse and I believe there's not a time in history when we as believers, we stand up and we speak righteousness. We speak what's true. Because I, I believe that there will be a day when it might be a little bit harder than it is now. And we don't forget those that are suffering for the faith right now in other countries in a prison cell because they have proclaimed Jesus Christ as Lord. 
And so how, how important it is for us to understand that, that meeting together, it would never be a question for them to say, I wish I was with a believer that could encourage me at this moment. I wish I had someone to speak truth to me and life to me in this very moment. I wish I had a parchment of paper, someone to just read me one word of God's word and, and to be able to lift my spirit. I look for those instances. And I think we can take community very flippantly in this age. But it is not something to be flippant. Jesus was asked what the greatest commandment was. And he replied in Matthew, he goes, Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul and all of your mind. All's a lot. All basically takes all of you. And that's what he's telling us to do. And before anyone could go off and make their own private religion out of that statement, he goes on and he says, and the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. See, Jesus, I believe he knew about community. I believe he knew. You love the Lord your God with all of your heart and soul, your mind, your strength. And what are we to do? We're to love others as ourselves. And, and, and I, I think that there's, that's always the tension because that's not always easy to do, to remain lovable. Jesus knew that the spread of the gospel, the good news, hinged on community, striving towards a common goal for the path and the purposes of God, sharing, we share together in the, the joys and the sorrows of this life. We share. It's experiencing life together at the very basic level. I remember many years ago, Teresa, she, she took the, the, we were living in Romania, she took the kids and she came back to the States. I remember being there all by myself, so I thought, man, I'm going to take this trip and I'm going to, uh, you know, so I got on a bus, traveled through Bulgaria, went to, went to Greece and and I just kind of wanted to do a Bible tour, and I went to Thessalonica, and, and that was kind of fun, and, but I'm all by myself. And I got me, it's me and my camera. And, and so then I, we got on another bus, and I went to Philippi, and I'm there among these ruins. Not a person is there. Literally, the bus drove, drove down the street. It dropped me off, and here I am in the ruins of Philippi with not one person, and they're great ruins, by the way. So I can, I'm looking at where supposedly, you know, Paul was imprisoned for a short time, in Philippi, and I'm looking at that, and I'm wanting so bad to talk with somebody, to share with somebody, uh, and maybe even if it's an ache and a pain, and then, and then I, so the trip continued. I went to other, other places, and, but I wanted so much to, to share what maybe God even spoke to me, because in, in Saloniki, in Thessalonica, I read, you know, Thessalonians, and in Philippi, I read Philippians, and then I went down to to, uh, to Athens and, and, and read Acts. And then I went down to Crete and read Titus, where Titus lived, right? And then I got on a boat and I went over to Rome and read Romans and, and got ripped off in Romans. And that's why I wanted to cry. And, and, you know, I was by myself backpacking. That's a whole other story. But I got ripped off in Rome. That sounds like a good book, doesn't it? I got ripped off in Rome. But, but you know what? I, you know, just to talk to someone, to have a friend and to be able to, to do life together, that's what the body of Christ is. And it's not always fun and games, it's not always easy, but we, we grow together, we stick together, we grow together, and we learn and we become hopefully more Christ-like. Community is necessary, but it's also, as I've talked about, enormously difficult. The first story in the Bible is about two brothers who fought Cain and Abel. It's actually a murder story. 
And you know what their fight was? It was a religious fight. It was a quarrel over who God loved the most. Joseph and his brothers, a little bit later, if you flip a few pages, Joseph was envied um, by the rest of his brothers and he was sold as a slave into Egypt. You get to Miriam and Aaron, they quarreled against their brother Moses. David and his brothers, there was discord and jealousy. All throughout, you're going to see that it's enormously difficult. And Jesus and his brothers, they tried to discourage him from his messianic work. Like, like who are you? Who are you? They didn't... I wonder, you know, did Mary, did she have conversations with them and go, look, guys, and would they have believed it? This is what happened. But they still discouraged him. Prophet is without honor in his own, in his own country. Jesus couldn't even do miracles. Why? Because of the disunity. That's why we need unity, and that's why I believe community is so important to God, to Jesus. Psalms 133 tells us that uh, living together is one of the greatest tasks of God's people, and nothing requires more attention and and energy, and almost nothing else is easier to do. It's harder to do. It's not easy. Eugene Peterson says this, Community is a place where each person is taken seriously, learns to trust others, and depends on others, is compassionate with others, and rejoices with others. No small task. Psalms 133 gives us insight and gives us two poetic images which I told you I'd expound on a bit. What living together in unity is like, what getting along is like. So verse 2 of Psalms 133 says, It is like precious oil poured on the head, running down the beard, running down Aaron's beard, down on the collar of his robe. Isn't that odd? So we're talking about oil here. So this picture comes actually from Exodus 29, and it's an ordination of Aaron and the other priests, and that is what they were to do. So oil throughout Scripture is the sign of God's presence. It's a symbol of the Spirit of God. What does oil do? It, it glistens. It picks up the warmth of sunlight. It softens the skin. It perfumes a person. I was also thinking about oil in another way, about the fact that uh, it helps moving parts. You know, when things move, it causes friction, right? So what oil does is it reduces friction. Friction causes heat. Heat destroys things, right? So, you know, you got your door, but that's what oil, like it, it allows things to move. There's, there's the beauty in the oil as it runs down. God, oil me. Help, me. help me to be pliable. Help me to be movable. Help me not to break down. I don't want to break down. As things get tough or as things get, get hard, I want to I wanna be a working machine. Like, help me, Lord, but I need the oil of the Holy Spirit. But more particularly about oil is that it marks a person as a priest. Living together means seeing the oil flowing down on others. Seeing others as God's anointed, it profoundly affects our relationships. 
It truly does. When you look at a person and you realize that this person is a priest of God, this, this person has been chosen, as I said in the opening, that they're, they're part of a chosen generation, really gives you a lot of, a lot of you know, uh, ability to, to navigate when things might be difficult. And we know that difficulty is always there. There's two great quotes. This first one is by Dietrich Bonhoeffer. I'm going to end when I call the worship team up in a few minutes. Listen up, because I'm going to end with this story about Dietrich Bonhoeffer. But Dietrich Bonhoeffer says this, What a man, not what a man is in himself as a Christian, his spirituality in piety constitutes the basis of our community. What determines our brotherhood is what that man is by reason of Christ. Our community with one another consists solely in what Christ has done to both of us. So there's power in understanding that you are a priest. That you are a priest. I think that in revival, that this is what happens too. That there is this, this growth in us and and uh, as people come together, uh, it builds community. I believe that's a lot what revival is for. Eugene Peterson says this, The Christian needs another Christian who speaks God's word to him. He needs him again and again when he becomes uncertain and discouraged. For by himself, he cannot help himself without belying, like uh, falsifying or contradicting, the truth. He needs his brother as a bearer and a proclaimer of the divine word of salvation. He needs his brother solely because of Jesus Christ. The Christ in his own heart is weaker than the Christ in the word of his brother. Now, there's been so many times... Oh, I'll finish that. His own heart is uncertain, but his brother's is very, very sure. There's been so many times in my life where I have maybe going, been going through something, and I do what I would normally do. I'm going to take a, I'm going to take a scripture, or I'm going to be able to speak into that situation what God says about the situation, not what I say about the situation. That's just, that's going to be my go-to. Is going to be God's word. But there's been so many times in my life that I've done that, and it greatly helps. But then comes a brother, or then comes someone, a sister in the Lord, and they go, hey, you know, I felt like God had this word for you, or, or let me encourage you, or maybe it's just a conversation, I say, hey, I'm kind of going through this, but their word makes a difference, that we need each other for that, the word, their word makes a difference, I'm sure. Now, there are a lot of soldiers that came back from war when they were tormented by fear, when they were tormented by anxiety, when they thought that they would be dead in five minutes. But another soldier grabbed their hand and said, man, we're going to make it through this. We might be in a foxhole. We might not be able to lift our head without getting shot at, but we've got this. And there is such power in that. The second image that we see in this scripture 
of community. It's verse number three, it says, it is as if the dew of Hermon were falling on Mount Zion. That's interesting. For there, the Lord bestows his blessings forevermore. I want to focus on the first part of that verse. Uh, Mount Hermon is the highest mountain in that part of the world. It's about 9,000 feet. It's in the, uh, the Lebanon range just uh, north of Israel. And it's very, very heavy with dew just because of its alt- altitude. It's in the Alpine region. So if you were to throw a, a sleeping bag down and spend the night, you would probably wake up drenched. You would wake up very wet. It, and that communicates a sense of freshness and anticipation of growth. That's what's being communicated here. In any community of faith, it's important that we have a renewed expectation. It's not, it doesn't have to be the same old, the same old, the same old. Holy Spirit, with what I'm going through right now, there's, there's due, there's, there's growth. What is it that you want me to know? What, how do you want me to grow? There's, there's a, a newness and a freshness of what God is doing. We refuse to label each other and predict growth and behavior. That's not always easy to do. Each person in community, they're unique. They're not going to think like me all the time, praise God. They're loved. They're led by the Spirit of God. It's about not presuming. It's about not drawing conclusions or pretending to know their worth or their place. It's very interesting many times what we think that we know about maybe someone, maybe we have a preconceived idea. This is where grace comes in. Because so many times in our life, we, we know that we know that we know that we know that we know when in truth, we don't really know. But we think we know. And that's why grace and mercy comes along. Now, this little poem I came, came across, it's kind of funny. And hopefully you can get the connection I'm trying to make here. Because in community, it's so, it's so easy to read people wrong and to often get the wrong idea. So listen, listen up. This is by a, a lady named Valerie Cox. A woman was waiting at the airport one night with several long hours before her flight. She hunted for a book in the airport shops, bought a bag of cookies, and found a place to drop. She was engrossed in her book when she happened to see a man sitting beside her as bold as could be. He grabbed a cookie or two from the bag in between, which he tried to ignore to avoid a scene. So she munched on the cookies and watched the clock as the gutsy cookie thief diminished her stock. She was getting more and more irritated as the minutes ticked by, thinking, if I wasn't so nice, I'd blacken his eye. With each cookie she took, he took one too. 
and with only one left, wondered what he would do. With a smile on his face and a nervous laugh, he took the last cookie and broke it in half. He offered her half as she ate the other. Then she snatched it from him and thought, Oh, brother, this guy has some nerve and he's also rude. And well, he didn't even show his gratitude. She had never known when she had been so galled and sighed in relief when her flight was called. She gathered her belongings and she headed to the gate, refusing to look back at the thieving ingrate. She boarded the plane and she sank in her seat. Then she saw her book, which was almost complete. As she reached in her bag, she gasped with surprise. There was her unopened bag of cookies in front of her eyes. If mine are here, as she mentioned in despair, then the others were his, and he tried to share. (laughs) Too late to apologize, she realized the grief. She was the rude one, the ingrate, and the thief. Isn't it amazing about perspective and, and community? Community is not easy, but we love each other. We grow with each other. That's what community is for. That's what the, you want to know something else about community? The longer you're in a community, the more you're trusted by others in the community. That's a very, that's a very rich fact. Now, I know people's lives change and things change, but people jump from here. It's, it is our American culture that when you're not pleased, you're gone. And not just this church, just gone from fellowship. No, that's not what the body of Christ is for. And that's why we need each other. And we, don't need, and we need to have grace with each other. There's latitude, and we grow with each other. There's very, very strong in that. Community flourishes when we view each other with expectancy as the dew is new each morning. We explore fascinating depths of their friendship, their quest, and their desires. I love hearing people's desires. I love it. I enjoy finding out about people and what drives them. If I was in a room with 30 people, I would generally try to find one and just talk with them and find out what's going on. Like, that's not a boring life. It's, it's really interesting to know what, uh, what people's hearts are. It's hard to feel bored in a community like that when we're all, all like that. Here's a synopsis of the oil and the dew. Oil is flowing down Aaron's beard, communicates warm priestly relationships, and the dew descending down Herman's slopes communicates fresh and expectant newness. Oil and dew, the two things that make life together delightful. And the last line of this chapter says, For there the Lord bestows His blessings, even life forevermore. You know what Psalms 133 is doing here? It's throwing us a hint of heaven. Christians are always attempting to get a picture of eternity, but we will never exceed, succeed in that. We will never be able to succeed. 
We are now enjoying life together, but it's to be completed in the everlasting. So now I want to talk a little bit about Dietrich Bonhoeffer. And in just a second, I'll have the worship team come up, but not right this second. In 1945, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, he wrote a book called Life Together. Isn't that interesting? Life Together. We're talking about community. This man was about community. Living together as a family of faith. And the, the book begins with this verse. Behold, how good and how Pleasant it is for brethren to live in unity. And this text would be with him his entire life. At age 21, he wrote a dissertation titled The Communion of the Saints. Another book. What is it about? Community. So it's very, it's very big in his life. I think that he knows that the world he's living in Having community is detrimental to his existence. Then he wrote a book called, which some of you might know about, The Cost of Discipleship. And it's been a handbook for many Christians. During the Nazi years, he led a community of fugitives and seminarians. Young men, women, that were dedicated to the things of God. And he lived with them and he trained with them in pastoral ministries. And it was during this time, living together, during this time of discipleship, that he wrote the book Life Together. During his last years, he was imprisoned by Adolf Hitler. But even in prison, it did not separate him from his brothers and sisters in Christ. He prayed and he wrote them letters and he experienced community, and then he was killed. Just as the first line of Psalms 133 says, how good and pleasant it is for God's people to live together in unity. It was the, it was the exploration of his life to explore community. The last line, God commands the blessing and ordains eternal life, was the exposition of his life. That we need to be in unity, but there's an end, and it's eternity. And as the worship team comes up, I want to read what happened to him at the end of his life. On April 9th of 1945, this is what a prisoner wrote, because only the other prisoners knew what was going on. Quote, on the morning of the day, sometime between five and six o'clock, the prisoners were led out of their cells and the verdicts read to them. Through the half-open door of a, uh, of a room in one of the huts, I saw Pastor Bonhoeffer, still in his prison clothes, kneeling in fervent prayer to the Lord his God. The devotion and the evident conviction of being heard that I saw in the prayer of this intensely captivating man moved me to the depths. So the morning came. Now the prisoners were ordered to strip. They were led down a little flight of steps under the trees to the secluded place of execution. There was a pause, and naked under the scaffold, in the sweet spring woods 
Bonhoeffer knelt for the very last time to pray, and minutes later, his life was ended. Three weeks later, the Third Reich fell. Hitler committed suicide. No one knew what happened to Bonhoeffer, and his family waited in anguish for the news. The report of his death was first received in Geneva, and it was telegraphed to England. His aged parents turned on the radio and listened to the broadcast from London. A memorial service in progress, then German, speaking in English. We're gathered here in the presence of God to make thankful remembrance of the life and the work of his servant, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who gave his life in faith and obedience to his holy word. He showed in his life the power and the need for community, just as Jesus took his disciples and he poured into them. That's what community is about. Do you think that the disciples always understood Jesus? Do you think that they like, why, why is he saying that? You know, and then, then he's, then they're dispersed. They run away. And they end up transforming the world. I believe that there's a great power in that community. And as we close this series, I believe it's a very strong uh, a thought that we want to have towards towards the fact that they had feasts and they would go there to celebrate and they would come as families and they would talk about God's goodness and everything that they had done through the journey of going up to Jerusalem for these feasts, the Feast of Passover and, and all the, the, the other two feasts that they had. And they would begin to talk of God's goodness. They were a family. And then they would go back to work. They'd go back to their villages and that they would work, but they would never leave the the, the fact that, that they were a community and that their life was dedicated to God. And hopefully that, especially in those days, their life was really limited. I mean, our days with, with, with health and all the different things that we have, I mean, we, we can live a pretty long life. But life was really, really short. Listen, a lot of price, big price has been paid so we can sit here this morning and be in a service and talk about community. But there are those right now, oh, do they wish they were in this chair. Oh, do they wish that they had community and they had someone to encourage them and they heard the verse of Hebrews that I just read or in Matthew or were told a story. That's what they needed. Listen, that's what your family needs. That's what your children need. That's what your grandchildren need. They need a community dedicated to serving God. Whatever that takes, we do it. And we're blessed right now, but days grow evil. And there is a price that might have to be paid. Let's not look at church. Let's not look at community flippantly. Let's jump in and be a part and do things. And if you got a question or you don't agree, like, thank goodness we don't all agree. 
I, I, just even in my personality, like I say from time to time, I want what's right and what's good. I don't always have to be right. That's why I put people around me. I put people around me because I want to do what's right, not be right. In a situation for what God calls for a situation. That's what the body of Christ is for. That's what we, what we have each other for. We're not always going to get it right. <laughs> but all things work together for good to those who love God and are called according to his purpose. So don't be afraid to make decisions. Don't be afraid in your life to make good decisions, godly decisions to the best of your ability and watch God work. Put up the sail. Go on the missions trip. Jump in and serve. Be a part of the band. Use your gifts. You do know that when you do go to heaven, you are judged for what was given to you. The unbeliever is judged in a different way. The fact that the unbeliever didn't have a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ and accepted a free gift of salvation. You're judged for what you did with what God gave you. It's called stewardship of what he gave you. And it, and it hits every area. It hits every area of your life. Where your treasure is, your heart is. So let's be a community. Let's believe God for great things. Let's believe God for revival in us. When there's revival in us, we let it, we let it start with us. And then God does greater things in the church. Thanks for hanging out with us at Generation. You can connect with us on Facebook or Instagram at Generation Pensacola or go to the website at generationpensacola.com and from wherever you download your podcasts. If today's teaching impacted you, we'd love to hear about it. So please drop us a note.